Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. We know that all that we enjoy in our lives is um, from the hand originally from your creation and then, of course, through your sustaining power, your love, your grace, uh, Lord, even um, your protection in our travels getting here today um, for each breath that we take, for the opportunity to be in church with other brothers and sisters, to... um, to participate in worship in a, in a place where we don't fear arrest um, or persecution from the government. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. So thank you. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless this time as we talk about this important doctrine in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Today we we're continuing through. I, now I know in the, in the newsletter, um, I had said we were finishing out uh, the the trip book, but actually there are a few more chapters, so we're going to go ahead and just keep pushing. And so this particular lesson corresponds with what is chapter 19 in, the, in that trip book of 12 Historic Doctrines, and we are looking today specifically at the doctrine of sanctification. So I'm just going to kind of, obviously, you, you know, uh, most of you know the routine with with having the scriptures ready when we get to you. I don't know who's going to walk around with the mic. Hopefully somebody's got that. Okay, Mark, our faithful mic man. And then um, um, I'm just going to write a few things down as, as we go here. So first thing to, to kind of talk about, I, sanctification is definitely one of those Christian-y words, right? It's, if you're in church, you hear that word used all the time. If you're outside of church, nobody ever uses the word. So it's, it's just one of those really, you know, if late in your life, if you didn't grow up in the church and you were to, you know, you came into church because something, something's going on in your life and you just felt like I should be in church and you heard the word sanctification, um, it can be, it can sound like uh, a foreign word. So uh, just in very simplified terms, let's look at a few aspects of what sanctification is. And one of the first aspects of sanctification is it involves something that is set apart. So to have something um, to be sanctified, it's going to be set apart. Now, that's not what it means entirely, but it, it, it's something that is separate from common use. So even if we're going to talk about kind of regular things, I know I immediately thought of my um, childhood, and I I know I remember that we had a car that was, that car only got driven to church, or if my dad had a really important meeting, and he was meeting with somebody for a business reason, and it, you know, it was important to him, or he was meeting a client or something, he would take the, he would take the nice car, but otherwise that car just sat there and didn't get use. It was set aside for something special. I know that um, I, I also grew up with quite a few cousins. We would get together, and there was one of my cousins in particular. The rest of the cousins always joked about it because when we would all get together, her mom, my aunt, wanted her to look her best, at least at the beginning when the whole family showed up. So she was always wearing her school shoes. And so we always had to tell her, hey, before we start playing, take off your school shoes because her mom would lose her mind when we would then go in the ditches and everything else and she was wearing her school shoes. Now, these things don't change because the longer I thought about this, I thought I still do the same thing because my wife can attest that there is cookware in our kitchen. (laughs) She's already nodding. There is cookware in our kitchen that I like more. 
and I don't want other people to even use the cookware. Or if it gets used, I will clean the cookware. No touchy-touchy, right? So these are the all things we understand this concept. It's, it's something that is set aside from common use. It's, it's set apart in some way. It receives special attention. Now, those are just objects. Those are just things. Um, and so, obviously, there are significant differences between those objects and, and this idea of God's people being sanctified. But it starts with God having a people that are set aside for something. There is a reason that they're being sanctified and they are set aside for that purpose. And one of the first things then that we have to recognize is not only are they set aside, but they are set aside to God. So to be sanctified or to be engaged in the sanctification process, when we think about it biblically, is that you are set aside for a special purpose, separate from common use, and you are set aside to God, to glorify God. And honestly, even that, I think, could use some additional clarification, because in our identity, if we are a believer, in our identity, we are already set aside and we are already God's. That's who we are. And in fact, uh, the Sunday school that um, Paul has been going through, uh, the, chapter, the chapters that he's been covering in the previous three weeks, talked about justification. Another big christian word, but we, we've talked about that. And so justification has to do with our identity, right? That is, it is a legal standing, basically. You have been declared by the blood of the Lamb, if you are justified, if you are God's child, you have already been declared righteous. That is your identity. That is who you are. That is different from sanctification, where we know that we, are, we have already been set apart by God, and we have already then received a new heart. We've already received a new spirit, but we haven't really arrived at being as holy as we should be, or to use this Christian-y word, as sanctified as we should be. So what it involves, then, we're set apart to God, and it is an ongoing process. So we know this is an ongoing process. So where justification is a once-for-all legal standing before God that says not guilty and you are leaving the the courtroom with a declaration that says not guilty because of what Christ accomplished it's this process this ongoing process then because we have to still live our lives in this world in this messed up world and with um, sin still uh, inflicting us we still have to work through and grow in sanctification. So, I know I'm keeping it simple here, but it, it, this, this, unfortunately, even within our own churches, um, isn't made as clear as it should. But the significance, then, of this idea of set apart to God means that what sanctification is not is some sort of self-improvement process. This isn't 
how can I be a better person? This isn't, you know, what are the, what are the four J's of being a good person? Um, I will tell you that um, a family member that's very close to me, when, when she learned that I was going into the ministry, um, she's not a believer, and so she, the first thing she started doing was forwarding me articles, uh, links to articles, and she would say, hey, this might help you. This might be something you can use when you preach. And I thought, oh my, you know, and I click on it, and I look at it, and it's basically some sort of a motivational, how to be a better person, you know, here's a moving story that, that made somebody feel good and, you know, you know, put a smile on your face. Um, um, and so that is not at all what biblical sanctification is like. Biblical sanctification only applies to God's people. Now, that's great if the world can figure out ways to be a little nicer. I mean, sure, that sounds like a good plan, but that is not what God is calling us to as he is, um, as he is sanctifying us. So he's setting us apart, and it involves practical conduct, where he's moving us, I should have given myself more space here, where he's moving us in our practical conduct. So by practical conduct, I'm, our everyday actions, the way we speak, the way we treat the people we love, the way we treat the people we don't love, um, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money. So we're looking at this idea of our practical conduct, our everyday actions. And then ideally, what's the sanctification process is that it's moving from sinful to righteous. Just let me abbreviate there. So it's this ongoing process of there here are a people that God has justified, that he has saved, that he has called, that he has regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so here are these people that have been declared righteous in a court and a justification in a legal sense, but then they've got to live their life, and that is that living of the life is that practical conduct that takes place, and that there is this gradual process that's moving us from sinful to righteousness. I wanted to note this. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 31. I wanted to just point this out. It and it's interesting, when you think about why you are even here today in church, of course, we're here primarily to worship our God. But in uh, Exodus 31, what we see is what God has to say actually about the Sabbath. And it is interesting because, you know, our focus, and rightfully so here, is that the, the Sabbath is about honoring the Lord. But this is curious that it is actually also a contributor to this process of moving from sinful to righteous. Look at uh, Exodus 31, and I'm going to read uh, verses 12 to 16 here. And Yahweh said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. 
For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. Hmm. So there is sanctification associated with the day that we worship the Lord. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. See, we're used, that's, holy is sanctification language. That's that transition from sinful to righteous. So God has set a day aside for him to be worshipped, but so that we too, by participating in that day, might actually be sanctified and be made holy. Because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that whole shall be cut off among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath. And so it goes on to talk about, now, we know that when Christ came and fulfilled the law, he didn't abolish the law, but fulfilled it. We aren't carrying these civil penalties of, you know, of, of being subjected to death for, for not keeping the Sabbath. But what we do know is that God has set, it, set one day aside, and part of the purpose of doing that is so that we can be made holy. The very fact that you are here, ideally, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's moving the needle from this sinfulness to righteousness. So that on Wednesday of this week, when you are faced with difficulty, when you work for an impossible boss, when your spouse is causing you great grief, you know, whatever those things are, you know, your kids are wildly disobedient, that you are more holy in how you respond to that because you were here today, because you worshiped the Lord, because you participated in the worship of God. So I wanted uh, to point that out, that just like we are set aside to be sanctified, so God set aside and set apart one day so that we could be made holy, so that we could be sanctified more on that particular day. I remember um, I saw these funny posters. You know, everybody's seen the motivational posters, the real, you know, it's not a destination, it's a journey, all that, you know, with the sailboats and all that kind of thing. Well, I, um, I saw some that were a demotivational poster, so they basically were mocking the motivational posters. If you've seen these, they're hilarious. Anyway, one of them that I saw once, is uh, it said... Uh, you're special, just like everyone else. And so I thought of that because I thought, see, if everything's special, then nothing's special, right? That's why we think through these things and we go, okay, I am legitimately special, if we want to use that word. I'm, I'm set apart because God wants me to grow. He wants there to be, there is a process in which that, that growth is going to take place. Here's a quote from the trip book. This is what he's, he wrote. Quote, the process by which true righteousness is formed in us. That's his definition of sanctification. I should have said that. The process by which true righteousness is formed in us. So it's getting us here, righteousness. And this is that process that takes place. Um, So sanctification is that process that God uses to transform us. Okay. So that we can basically live up to the identity that we already have. All right, let's read some scriptures. Jane. All right, John 17. So Jane, what what we're going to see here from Jane is how Jesus is facilitating or has facilitated, I probably should say, this process that we're talking about. Go ahead, Jane. This is John 17, 14 to 19. This is, uh, is this on? Yes. Okay. Um, Jesus is speaking. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Mm -hmm. Your word is truth. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's two more. Okay, sorry. Through 19. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. There we go. So what we see is Jesus was here. He made it possible so that our identity could be changed. And what Jesus points out in, that, in those verses is that we are separated from the world, but he has also said, but I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. This process that's taking place, this ongoing process is intentional. What you're going through, the difficulties that you have, is intentional. It's planned. It's custom fit for you. And ideally, if you've been a believer for a while and have been going through the sanctification process for a little while, then ideally you can look back several years and say, yeah, I, it's working. But it's still difficult. And that's exactly the way that it's supposed to be. Jesus said, set them apart to you, Father. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, 1 Thessalonians five twenty-two to 24. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Okay, hang on to the mic for one second. I've got a three-part question for you. Who is doing the sanctification? God. There you go. God, in the, right there, it says God is at work. Okay. To what extent is, he, is this process trying to sanctify us? Completely. Complete. Comprehensive. Comprehensive sanctification. This isn't making, like, tweaking your personality. This isn't uh, making you um, more willing to tolerate difficulty. This is changing you entirely. And then the last part of that... Um, uh, this probably isn't a good question. How is he doing that, or what does it look like? What, what, in what way are we a participant? What are we supposed to do? Well, it's going to be our whole spirit and soul and body, so yes. it's everything complete, blameless. Um, he, and what was the abstain. Is there, is there an abstain oh, in abstain there? abstain from every form of There evil. we go. So it's God doing the work. God is doing this, and yet our responsibility is to abstain from every form of evil. Thank you. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our Romans 6. Carol, Romans 6, 15 to 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But when fruit, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to, of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I don't know if you caught it in there. You can hang on to it for just a second. I don't know if you caught it in there, but everybody in, in, in um, the way Paul described it and the analogy he used, everybody in there is obedient. Did you catch that? Everyone's obedient. Now, he uses the word obedient. Um, you would have to, you know, maybe think through it a little bit, but what is the more uh, obvious term that he used? Everybody is what? A what? Slave. Yes. Slave. Everybody's a slave. Right. Everybody's obeying something. Yes. Everyone is. Um, so you can go ahead and grab it now. I got slave out of her. So in this process, then, it's a matter of, are you going to be a slave to evil to wickedness or a slave to righteousness. There is a fruit that is going to be produced from it. One is impurity and lawlessness and one is righteousness and sanctification. And that we saw that in there a couple of times where uh, Paul is discussing, hey, here's what you are faced with all the time, all the time. You've got these choices, right and left. Selfishness, selflessness, honor myself, honor God. And they produce fruit. Every time they produce fruit. Um, okay, Lori, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Uh, actually, hold on to that. Sorry. Um, okay, so what does it mean to have your pro, uh, practical conduct changed from sin to righteousness? Sanctification does not change the makeup of who you are. It's not, like I said, this isn't like a, a, a personality transformation. Um, this isn't, hey, how can I go from being, a, you know, through this sanctification process, how can I learn to be an extrovert instead of an introvert? How can I learn to be a better speaker? Um, or maybe this might hit a little too close to home, at least with some churches. How can this process make me a better leader? Look, there's lots of ways to be a better leader and to be a godly leader. The church is not the place to just develop leaders. The church is here to help develop you in sanctification, which ideally will make you a much better leader praise God, but we're not here to try to create uh, better leaders in organizations. It's a journey of becoming conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, um, which is to say it is a journey to practically loving God um, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving your neighbors yourself, right? That's really what this life and what this process is all about. Okay. Uh, and let me read a quote from Tripp. He says, uh, quote, the doctrine of sanctification, I like this one, the doctrine of sanctification is a rebuke to any kind of self-satisfied and passive Christianity. Ouch. It is a rebuke to any kind of self-satisfied and uh, passive Christianity. All right, so let's look at some examples, 
practical examples of what that change is. And we'll start right here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Go ahead. Or do, you, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, Amen. you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay. So there, here is this list of evildoers, very specific, you could take it, uh, very specific kinds of wickedness, and such were some of us. God justified us, God sanctified us, and it is through uh, the power of Christ. And so what we know is that our heart has been changed and our desires have been changed. So what the Pharisee-type mindset would listen to that list and try to just boil it down and say, okay, so don't, don't be those kind of people doing those things. See the list? Let's break the list down and let's go through, okay, don't be a swindler, don't be a liar. You're already, you're already solving for the wrong problem if you're chasing those things of what not to do and what behaviors not to have. The, those, are, those, those are true but the goal is to be sanctified, to be set apart, and to move from sinfulness to righteousness. And um, that's motivated by having changed desires. All right, uh, who's got Romans 6? Cindy, this Cindy, 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Thank you, Cindy. And so what we have now is this has all been framed in this idea of death and life. So I think this pairs very nicely with what Carol read a little while ago. Um, about slaves to righteousness or slaves to sin. And God, this is just, it is so beneficial for us that in one sense, um, he's, it's not, we, we don't want to oversimplify it by looking at the list that Lori just read and going, okay, just don't be that kind of person. That doesn't change lives. But in another sense, God gives us very black and white terms of this is what it looks like. And that's also what, um, Cindy just read, and they, it is put into the context of dying to sin. This is life and death, death and life. It's dying to sin and walking in newness of life. And that starts from the very beginning of your walk with God. Because once you've become a believer, what's bas- basically the first thing that you do? What do you participate in? Thank you. Baptism, which is exactly what Cindy just read. We, we symbolize this very thing. We go into the ground, symbolizing the death of the old man, and we are raised to newness of life. And this process that God is using, so it, we have been legally set aside, declared righteous, but then God says, yeah, well, you've got 
some living yet to do. And in that process, your practical conduct needs to move from sinfulness to righteousness. And by the way, it's a matter of life and death. Um, Here's another quote from Tripp. Quote, any thing, thought, desire, motivation, purpose, plan, attitude, or action that in any way, shape, or form opposes the knowledge of God and new life in his Son must be destroyed. How? By the truth of God in his word, by humble, honest confession, and by seeking the Spirit's help to turn away from everything that opposes God and his will. Sin, here's our death and life kind of context, sin must be put to death. There is no other option. We do not have the power to kill it on our own, but with confidence in the Spirit's presence and work, we take up weapons that have divine power and go about the work of hunting down and killing sin. Do you view your sin in your life that way? that it is a matter of hunting down and killing it? Or are you rather comfortable with it being right there? I uh, heard a, a friend of mine said, yeah, I, I know it was a friend of his. So he told me the story. He says, yeah, this guy went out. Well, now, why somebody would do this, I have no idea. But he went out and bought a very large snake, like really, really big python type, you know, just giant snake. And uh, he bought the snake, and I guess the snake was, you know, was moving a little this and that. But then uh, what it was doing was laying right next to him where he was sleeping, and it was stretching out um, in a straight line and just laying there next to him. And it wouldn't really move. And at night it would just lay there and stretch. So he goes back to the reptile store where he purchased the snake and said, hey, I don't know what's wrong with my snake because it's just laying right next to me in a straight line. And he's like, yeah, you're going to need to get rid of that. He's trying to see if you'll fit. <laughs> so our, it, it makes me think, okay, is this how we, are we comfortable with our sin when, in fact, the reality scripturally is that sin wants to consume you? And we hear a story like that, and it, it, that's heebie-jeebies, right? That's, that's horrible. And, but that is exactly what our sin wants to do as well, and yet, for some reason, there are certain sins in our lives that we become very comfortable with while it's stretching out and laying right next to us. Okay, who's got Colossians 3? Gail. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 5, please. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, Mm -hmm. what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So, again, we see how practical God is. In, through his word, he's saying, look, you're, we are moving your practical conduct from sinfulness to righteousness, and it is a matter of life and death. That's what is in play, and he is telling you to put these specific things to death. They should not be a part of you, part of your life. 
They shouldn't be near you. You shouldn't be sleeping next to them. Do everything in your power. Um, I'm going to pull a quote from, I forgot to look up the page. Um, if you'll grab your blue uh, hymnal there, we've got the, our confessions in the back of that. If one of you can help me find the, the page. We're looking for chapter 13, uh, which is on, sanctica- on sanctification, actually. If anyone knows the page, you can shout it out. 677. Thank you. Page 677. There at the bottom. So it's a three-paragraph chapter of our confession that's on sanctification, but there's a particular phrase that I think is helpful here. So, but I'll start at the beginning of the paragraph. Uh, they who are united to Christ, so these are the people that are, have been set apart, are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. So it's, that's all um, describing who is being talked about are also farther sanctified. So this is that process that we're talking about, that ongoing process. Really and personally, like this is legitimate um, sanctification, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. So this is God doing the work, which is what we've also read in scripture. And then here, here's the phrase that I really wanted to point, pull out of there. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. So it's through the power of his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion. So that authority that exists that wants to try to take control and to influence you to sin is being destroyed in that process. The several lusts, therefore, are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened all saving graces to the practice, see again how practical, to the practice of all true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then we have the, uh, the list of scriptural um, proofs down there as well. But I liked that idea of the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. We are in a fight. Now, we already know where we're going to land. We're already, we, if you are God's child, then you are justified and you are going to be in his presence and glory. Signed, sealed, delivered. It's going to happen. But between here and there, we are still in a fight to the death. And we are trying to mortify that sin. We're trying to kill the sin. Let's not sleep next to the snake. So, and doing that and having the right mindset about that is helpful to realize that when difficult things are happening that growth is also taking place. And if you know that you're going through this process of mortifying that sin, that it is genuinely not only to God's glory, but it is definitely for your good. And to put it in extremely simplified terms, you know, if there is a child that has toys and their cousin or their friend is over and you are trying to teach your ch- that child to share, does the child like being told Yes, you have to share. I mean, it's that simple. No, they don't like it. But yet you put the child through discomfort. You induce conflict into that child's life for the purpose of teaching your child to share. Because 
being a good sharer will actually impact the entirety of their life and their ability, if God saves them, to glorify God. That's being a good sharer. But it requires a parent to, uh, or, or a person in authority there to induce some rules and to force the child into doing something he, she just doesn't want to do, which is to loosen his grip on the toy, to share. And honestly, that's exactly what's happening in this process. God is loosening your grip on the things of this world so that you can more effectively glorify him. Um, we also know that we need the Holy Spirit. We just read that in that paragraph of that first paragraph of the confession. Let's look at uh, some verses that have to do of uh, the Spirit's function in sanctifying us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Bethany, verses 13 to 18. Oh, Megan. Megan. We're going Megan. <laughs> Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things are unseen are eternal. Okay, so what we have in there is we have the spirit of faith she read about. We, uh, we heard her read about the outer self versus the inner self. We heard about this process of being changed. And all of that is describing the difference of having our view on what is temporal, on what is going on inside our house and uh, what's taking place in our jobs and within our families versus having an eternal view. Um, John sixteen thirteen to 15. Brooklyn. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so here we have what was described as the spirit of truth. And did you hear all of the, the is going to guide you, is going to teach you? It is the spirit of truth that is going to do this in your life. Uh, Romans eight twenty six and 27. Tammy. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so in this process, as difficult as it might be, we don't even pray for what we ought, and yet the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God has given us uh, the God, uh, God as the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is with us, developing us, changing us. So it's not just this sovereign plan that you have to grit your way through. God and the Holy Spirit are empowering us to make it through this process and even, and even uh, interceding for us. Um, 
Let me uh, pause right there. I've got a, a couple more things to mention if, if we have a minute, but I, I at least want to open it up for, we have just a few minutes, so I, I want to make sure I leave an opportunity for anyone to kind of bring something up or if something's on your heart or wants to ask a question. Anyone? Any thoughts? Okay. Um, this idea of the sanctification process is, in one sense, it's about waiting. We're waiting on the Lord, but that doesn't mean that we're passive. It's active. And being conformed to the image of the Son isn't a matter of, you know, sitting in a waiting room and saying, all right, I'm just ticking off the days on the calendar until I pass and I'm in glory with God, just biding our time until we get there. God is continuing to put us through a sanctification process that looks different for each of us. For some people, you know, that are young, they're trying to figure out how they're even going to make their way in this world, how they're going to be an independent thinker. Are they going to, you know, what, who's going to be their spouse and, you know, what kind of a career are they going to have uh, uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum of how am I going to make it with life in a wheelchair? How am I going to make it with all these aches of pains and my outer body, my body is wasting away? And all of these things are ways, these are opportunities for us to uh, either glorify God in enduring and in participating in sanctification, or we can basically find a way to grumble, complain, and just endure it. I wanted to close with a quote from John Newton. He was the, uh, the author of um, the hymn Amazing Grace. Um, but he wrote, quote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So, what is really powerful about that quote is you realize that wherever you are and whatever tools God is using to move you from the sinfulness end of the spectrum further to the righteousness end of the spectrum, there is a contentment that's taking place in there because you can know through knowledge and an understanding of this doctrine of sanctification that this is being done because that process itself, you being subjected to it, is glorifying God, and it's growing you in the faith. It is making you more holy. So, all right, let's, let's close. Thank you, Lord, again for the time that we've been given this morning. Help us to remember these things um, as we're faced with difficulties in our, in our lives, Lord, and that, um, that it would result in godly fruit, that we would put to death the evil deeds and we would fertilize and cultivate uh, deeds that glorify and honor you in Christ's name. Amen.